Welcome to the GOAT Genetic Improvement Webinar Series, and thank you for taking the time to join us this morning. Today's topic is on industry genetic improvement programs, and we're pleased to be joined today by Kaylin McLeod from the Canadian Goat Society. Kaylin McLeod is a current Canadian Goat Society Director for Alberta and a licensed dairy goat judge. He has been involved with goats since he was 13, and in the past decade has been really focused on producing dairy animals. He has worked with herds of Sonnens, Toggenbergs, Nubians, La Manches, and is keenly interested in the genetic improvement of these animals to produce a structurally sound animal that can maintain a high level of production over a long lifespan. We're very pleased to uh, welcome you here today, Caleb. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Um, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Um, and I'm looking forward to sharing some information with you guys about the classification program that CGS offers. So our key points today are sort of the core purpose of the classification program and generally how it functions, um, how the specific traits are being that are being assessed translate into a productive and sturdy animal, and how classification can be used as a breeding and culling tool within your herd. Um, so we can start with what classification is generally. Some of you may be familiar with, with the term classification from the dairy cow world, and, and generally this is a, a similar type of program. Um, so it is administered by the Canadian Goat Society, um, and it quantifies type traits on an animal. Um, this program evaluates 24 individual traits on a given animal, um, and it is a non-selective program. Um, so that means that all first lactation does on a farm must be assessed. Um, and this is to really support the genetic evaluations that Brian was discussing um, in the previous presentation to try and collect as much of that data as we can. Um, and in this type of data collection, that first and second lactation is really imp important. Um, those are in some circumstances, the most important lactations to capture. Um, so that we can really use that data that's collected for those genetic evaluations that CCSI does do for the Canadian Goat Society and that are available. Um, and I guess just building off of one of the poll questions, which was um, the level of registration um, in the herds. So this program is available to, to all CGS members. Um, and it's not only limited to registered animals, however, they do need to be recorded. Um, so a lot of the majority of the animals that are classified these days are registered animals. Um, but if you're running a, uh, a commercial herd or only a small portion or perhaps none of your animals are actually are registered or purebred, um, that doesn't preclude you from this program. All they have to be is, is recorded. So um, the Canadian Goat Society does provide um, recording programs so they can be recorded grades or they can be recorded as unregistered and they just need that, that record so that they can be um, input into the system and have their data tracked appropriately. Um, so we can go now on to how the classification program generally works. Um, so it, it compares all animals to a true type breed standard. It's not comparing them to their peers um, or to one other animals within the herd. It's comparing them to an established ideal for that given breed. Um, the one benefit of, of 
the current dairy goat standard is that all breeds have the same confirmation standards. Um, the only real differentiation between the breeds um, from a type perspective um, is height and weight um, with some additional head features, but that doesn't factor too seriously into this classification program. Um, so the classification program assesses 24 individual traits um, and it quantifies all of these traits, some of which are linear traits. So they're measured with a, a ruler measuring tape or um, you gather the angle of a specific um, feature. And some of them are qualitative. And I'll go into a little bit more on the difference between a qualitative and a, a linear trait in a moment. Um, the program is, or the, the traits assessed or captured and assessed are generally organized into four separate sections that are of significant, significant importance um, to the product, productivity and, and longevity of a dairy animal. Um, and that's the rump, the mammary system, dairy strength, and feet and legs. Um, and each of these is assigned a, a different weighting within the program. And I'll go into a little bit more detail on that when we get into the individual sections. Um, additionally, age, lactation number, and stage of lactation are taken into account. Um, and ultimately, all of this data that's collected on these individual traits is put through the system. Um, each trait is weighted differently, um, and it generates a final score out of 100. Um, I've never seen a 100 animal, <laughs> but, um, and it, it assigns sort of a, a generalized category to that final score. So it goes from fair, very good, um, good, excellent, that type of thing. But so it does give you a final score, but I'll get into a little bit more. But I think that the biggest takeaway is the, the assessment of the individual traits. Um, and if we're looking for a little bit of a bigger picture, the, the assessment of those four main sections, um, the final score gives you a, a very general indication, but it, it doesn't give you as many tools or as useful information as the individual traits do. Um, so as I mentioned, there are both linear and qualitative traits that are assessed. Um, so linear traits are, are, as I mentioned, things that are measured. Um, and a good example of that would be thorough width, um, where you're actually measuring the distance between the thoroughs or rump angle where we take a, a angle in degrees and and it's those those traits are linear and there's an ideal measurement it's all relative of course um, but that sort of differentiates them from a qualitative trait where they're being assessed by the classifier who's an expert in their field um, against a, a sort of, it's not a trait that can really be measured. Um, there's an ideal quality. So for bone quality, we're looking for a, a flat bone that's fine and angular. Um, so that would be your ideal compared with a, a round bone that is um, thick and heavy. It's not really what we want to see on a dairy animal. So those are quantified on a scale from one to 10 with an identified ideal range. Um, and so that's generally how all of the traits are quantified, even for the linear traits. Um, they'll take the measurement and that measurement will fall on that scale of one to nine. Um, and each, each trait has an identified ideal range.
Um, so we can jump into the different sections now. And the first one we'll start with is the rump. Um, and this makes up 10% of the final score. Um, I know some people think, oh, it's, it's only one aspect of the animal, but it's got significant um, impacts on reproductive systems and the reproductive performance of an animal, the mammary system and the rear feet and legs. Um, I like to think of it as really being a scaffolding for the productive end of a goat. Um, the front end of a goat is really important for their structural soundness, but if we're looking for a large capacious udder, we need somewhere, somewhere for that to go. And having a, a long wide rump really sets up the, the playing fields for that, that udder to, to go right in there. Um, and it's made up of four individual traits. So there's, this is the, the category that factors into the, um, into the final score at the least. Um, and it's got the fewest number of traits. So that's, that is why it's the least. However, it is very important. Um, so here are the four rump traits. Um, we've got rump angle, and I've got an illustration of it in the bottom left there. Um, so it's a linear trait. We do measure the angle with a, a measuring tool. Um, the ideal is 25 degrees. You don't want your, your rump to be too steep or too level. Um, oh, an overly steep rump leads to um, feet and leg issues as it increases the strain on those, those joints in the leg. Whereas an animal that is too flat um, and does not have enough angle, um, there's evidence that that, that can lead to reproductive issues, particularly with the cleaning of the uterus after giving birth. Um, so the ideal is that 25. Um, I know that a lot of show herds will always push for more level and more level, but that is not necessarily the most productive and, and um, not the ideal. Um, the next trait we've got is thorough width, and that's the illustration I've got on the bottom right side there. This is another linear trait. Um, so this is if you see, see someone talking about a wide rump, this is really what they're referring to. Um, so the wider the rump, the, the more capacity you have in there for that udder and, and those reproductive organs within the pelvis. Um, the two, two, two next traits are thorough placement. So that impacts the rear leg set. Um, so where those, where those thoroughs are placed, ideally you want them to be placed two thirds of the way in between the hip and the pins. Um, and the final one is loin strength. And this is the only qualitative trait within this category um, because it's not something that can really be measured, but you want it to be a, ideally you want your loin to be as wide as your rump. Um, you want it to be strongly attached, slightly arched um, and wide where it joins the pelvis. So that's the rump. It's one of the easier categories to understand. They're all pretty straightforward. Um, and for the most part, the, we've got two traits, the rump angle and the thorough placement where we're looking for a, a moderate um, score. Whereas with the loin strength and the thorough width, we're looking for a, a higher end score. Um, so an eight or a nine in, in loin strength and thorough width is your ideal. Whereas with rump angle and thorough placement, you're looking for a, a five or a six, generally. Don't quote me on all these numbers. I'm just doing them off the top of my head, but that's sort of the idea. Not all the traits and not and not all of them will a nine be your ideal. Um, moving into the mammary system, this is by far the, the largest and most important section, which makes sense for a dairy animal. Um, the goal is for a 
large capacious mammary system that will hold up to many lactations and be resistant to mastitis and other, uh, um, other damage and disease to that mammary system. Um, it also selects for ease of milking and those strong attachments that really make it easy to deal with the animal in the udder when it's in the milking parlor. Um, and it's made up of eight individual traits. Um, I, I've highlighted four here that I think are really important and, and some of the easier ones to understand. Um, so the first one is utter depth, and I've got an illustration of that on the bottom left. Um, so this is a linear trait, it is actually measured, um, and the, the goal is for a deep, capacious udder. Um, however, you don't want the udder to be too deep. Um, with the udder floor falling below the hocks, that is not ideal. That predisposes that animal to damage, but particularly to those teats. Um, and also puts undue stress on the attachments in the medial suspensory ligament, leading to breakdown of that udder over time. Um, so this is one of those traits where we're looking for a moderate score. Um, obviously, you don't want a very shallow udder because that does not indicate capacity and, and that productive capacity. Um, but you also don't want it too deep. Um, and this is one of the, the traits that you will see change significantly as a doe matures. Um, in a younger first or second lactation animal, you, you would expect to see a shallower udder. Um, however, in the, in the older animals, you do not want to see that really, really deep udder. Um, the next one, which is the qualitative trait that I've got here is udder texture. And that, personally, I think this one is a really, really important um, trait to assess. Um, we're looking for a soft udder without excess flesh. It should be pliable, elastic, and well collapsed after milking. Um, having a, a big, big udder is, is great, but it's no good if it's just a big fleshy ball between the animal's legs. You want it to actually be productive mammary tissue and, and, and for it to really collapse after milking. So you're not just having a big animal with, with a big udder, but no milk within that udder. Um, so that one's fairly, fairly straightforward to understand. Um, and this is, that's a good example of, of during the classification program, um, a classifier may ask you to milk an animal out either fully or partially so that they can really assess that. Um, if your animal is being classified, it's really important to not overfill them um, because that will make it impossible to assess this utter texture trait. So if you do sign up to be, to be classified, it's important to follow those, those guidelines that are in that classification manual so that all the traits can be properly assessed. Um, moving along, there's quite a few traits associated with teats. Um, they are sort of the, the productive, or not the productive, but the bit that we have to deal with the most as, as dairy people, um, where we extract the milk from. So they're really important both for their placement and their form. Um, when it comes to placement, it's a qualitative trait. Um, we're looking for the, the teats to be placed centrally within the, on each other half um, and to avoid contact with the legs while they're walking and to facilitate easy milking. If you've got teats that are really far forward and, and point the wrong direction, um, it's gonna be more difficult to put your, your milker, milking units on or to milk them by hand. Um, and if they're really widely placed and the other and the, the teats are constantly rubbing on the legs while they're walking, um, that predisposes them to damage and mastitis. So I've got an illustration of teat, uh, or sorry, no, no illustration of teat placement. Um, 
It is in the manual, but I don't have it on the presentation here. Um, and the final trait I've got highlighted on here um, is a medial suspensory ligament, which is the illustration on the bottom right. Um, and this is a qualitative trait. Um, and you can see this is this one we're looking for more of an, ex, an extreme strong. Obviously, we don't want it to be a nine like we see on the far right. Um, the ideal is more that middle, but we prefer it to be a, a seven or an eight rather than a five or a six, if that makes sense. Um, so we're looking for the depth of the cleavage and evidence of division between the two halves, the stronger ligaments preferred, because this really supports the outer floor. Um, if we have what I like to call a basketball outer, like you see on the left-hand side of that illustration, as the dough comes into a lot of milk, she'll just blow out her udder um, and it won't, won't hold up over a long period of time. So having a strong, strong medial suspensory ligament is a really, really important trait. Um, and this is also one of the traits that, that correlates quite closely with the genet genetic evaluation programs. Um, and it is highly heritable. So now we've come to dairy strength. Um, and generally, this is one that it's hard, it can be hard to really understand what, what it really means because some of the traits that it is, it's assessing can seem, no, I wouldn't say mutually exclusive, but they don't necessarily always match up when you first look at them in isolation. Um, but this is worth 20% of the, the animal's final score. And it's a collection of traits that contribute to the ability of an animal to maintain a high level of production over a long lifespan. Um, so this is where it's sort of the contrast comes in because it combines strength and refinement. Um, so body capacity and strength of frame without carrying excess condition to the detriment of milk production. Um, and it's made up of six traits. Um, so I've got a couple selected here. Um, stature, this is one that can be misinterpreted. Um, so they're measured at the hips and compared to their breed standard. Um, and typically with dairy animals, we're looking for a, a longer bone pattern. However, this doesn't always translate to a taller animal. Um, so as long as an animal meets breed standard, it will receive a good score in this, in this um, category. Um, if they're under, they'll receive a lower score. That's primarily what it is. Um, in, in those standard size dairy animals, there's, it's, there's a minimum, but it can, an animal can't get as high as it goes. Um, however, the Canadian Goat Society does recognize Nigerian dwarfs that are a, a miniature dairy animal, which certainly can still be classified. And these all, all these traits still apply to those animals. However, because they do have a height limit, um, the ideal falls between two, two heights. So they have a, a upper limit and a lower limit rather than just a lower limit for the standard size dairy breeds. Um, the next trait is chest width. It's a linear trait. Um, it's, you measure the width of the chest floor. Um, it's not just the width between the front legs, but actually the width of the chest floor itself, because you do find animals that are very 
broad in the shoulders and, and have a really wide front end, but can have a very narrow chest floor. Um, and this is important because that obviously that that chest is is what um, houses the respiratory and circulatory systems. So you want an animal that can breathe large volumes of air so that they can really their body consist body systems can all function at their their highest degree. Um, body depth is another one. We put an illustration on the bottom right for that. Um, it's a pretty easy one to assess there. We're looking for a deep, deep, capacious animal um, measured at the point of the rear rib with um, the deeper bodies being preferred. And the final one, which I think is really important, but one that is sometimes hard to, to wrap your head around at first is angularity. Um, and this is a qualitative trait and angularity in dairy goats differs slightly from angularity in dairy cattle. Um, in dairy cattle, you're really looking at the angle of the ribs and that type of thing. However, when we're looking at a dairy goat, I like to think of them in triangles um, when you're looking at them from above um, as well as from the side. So we're looking for, uh, I've got an illustration of angularity from the rear um, on the left-hand side there with the animal on the, the right being the most ideal where we see a, a sharp um, angular shoulder that sort of opens up into a wide capacious barrel. So that's sort of that one triangle that we're looking for. Um, the other one is we're looking for the animal to be deeper at the rear of the barrel than in the chest floor. So there's another general triangle there. Um, and we're also looking for an animal to be wider at the rear than it is at the, the front of the animal. So sort of three triangles is how I like to think of angularity. So those, those are the six traits of dairy strength. There are some other traits in there, um, but these are the ones that contribute most to the score. Um, and the final of the four categories is feet and legs. And this is worth 28% of the final score. Um, and it's a really important one, particularly in those younger animals. Um, if a, a young animal has, has poor feet and legs, they're really not going to improve as that animal ages. So this can be a really important selection tool. And I'll get a little bit more into that as we go through the presentation. Um, so it assesses the structure of the hoof, the pastern, and the legs all individually. Um, so it is those three pieces. It's not sort of one big unit. Um, it's really important to support a productive dairy animal with good body, body capacity and a capacious productive mammary system. Obviously, if we're wanting a big body and a, a big udder, that's going to weigh a lot. And all of that weight goes down through those feet and legs. Um, and particularly, as I was mentioning, the productive end of the animal is your back end of the animal. So having a really strong set of rear legs is, is really important. Um, and having leg, feet and legs that hold up over a number of years and over a number of lactations is really important for just the day-to-day -day function of the animal so it can com comfortably move, feed, and do daily tasks that we ask of a dairy animal. Um, and it's important to remember that goats are not cows and they, they function very differently. Um, if we look at the, the sort of behavior of a goat, they're climbing on things, jumping up onto stuff, whereas a cow tends to keep all four of its feet on the ground at a time. So there's a lot more stress put on the, the legs, feet and legs of a dairy goat just because of its day-to-day -day functions. And they do like to climb and jump because they are 
way back in their history, mountain animals. Um, and so feet and legs are made up of five traits. I've got four highlighted here. Um, rear leg side view. So I've got an illustration of this on the bottom left. Um, it's a qualitative trait. It is one that you can measure and I can go into a little bit more detail on sort of what the ideal measurements are. But generally we're assessing if an animal is posty, so it has too little rear leg angulation, or if it's sickled, um, has too much rear leg angulation. The ideal is where um, the portion of the leg from the hawk to the dew claws is vertical and directly below the pin bones there. Um, and if we were to be measuring it, ideally you want your length of the rump from hips to pins to be the same distance as your pins to stifle and then stifle to hawk and hawk to ground. Um, so if you do measure a really good animal with, with ideal rear leg angulation, you'll find that those measurements all pretty much line up. Um, if one of those measurements are off, it will result in either a posty leg or a sickled leg. Um, and I generally, um, if you see a sickled leg on a young animal, it has potential to improve. Um, still not ideal, but it, it's more likely to improve. If a young animal is posty, that is only going to deteriorate as it ages. Um, and that puts a lot of stress, particularly on that stifle joint, which is their knee. So it's already a, a fairly unstable joint in the grand scheme of things. Um, and it can lead to locomotive issues as that animal ages, and particularly if it's carrying a lot of milk or body. Um, so yeah, really important on that rear leg side view. Um, the next one we've got is pasture and strength, and that's the illustration I've got on the bottom right. Um, this is another qualitative trait where we're looking for a strong, flexible pastern without being too upright or too much angulation. Um, this is one that we see quite frequently um, becoming an issue in older does. And it's important to, to remember that uh, uh, they change as they age. Um, so ideally we want a, an animal that's sort of in that middle category there of that illustration where it's generally quite upright. It's short and it's strong and springy. Um, if we if we see pasterns that are always like they are on the, the left of that illustration, the tendons are blown out. Um, the bone is typically longer um, and of weaker quality versus an animal that's very upright. Um, oftentimes they'll knuckle over and have issues walking. Um, so yeah, really going for that more moderate pastern in both respects, that's still upright, strong, and flexible. Um, finally, we are moving on, we've got bone quality. Um, we assess this in the feet and legs because that's um, where it's easiest to assess, um, particularly on the cannon bones, where we're looking for a, a flat, fine, and wide bone pattern. Um, words like flinty and, and all that kind of stuff get thrown around, but really what we're looking for is it to be flat and wide. Um, we don't want it to have rounded edges. Those traits, round bone tends to correlate to, to fleshing and flat bone tends to correlate to a lower degree of fleshing and, and more of that energy being put into dairy production. Um, you can assess it at the ribs as well, but for this classification program, we assess it in those rear legs.
Um, and additionally, we've got rear legs from the, the rear leg view. Um, this is another qualitative trait where we're looking for the rear leg set to be wide and for the legs to be parallel um, without the toes turning in or the hocks turning in or any sort of those. So this is really much like a wide rump, a wide and, and parallel rear leg set, gives a lot of space for a large productive mammary system. Um, and if they're widely set and not rubbing on the other too extremely, will also reduce the wear and tear on that udder. So that's a, a generalized or a, a selection of the traits. I only, I guess, went through 16 there of the 24. So there are some that um, I didn't detail, but they are in the, the manual if you want to look into them more closely. But the traits are all good and, and they can all contribute to their, their the genetic um, evaluations that, that um, Brian was talking about earlier. But why does all this matter on the farm? Um, so, Three of the most frequent reasons why animals are removed from a herd include reproductive issues. So an animal that has birthing difficulties or has difficulties getting rebred, um, feet and leg issues. So like those pasterns or a rear leg set that is really hocked in or, or posty or sickled um, leading to locomotive issues or cases of mastitis or high somatic cell counts in your milking animals. Um, and when we're looking at a dairy animal, its peak production is between three and six years of age. So if we have an animal that burns out at three, we're really not making the most of its, of its productive capacity. Ideally, we want an animal that um, maintains good levels of production past the age of six. So you need to raise fewer replacements and, and if an animal maintains that production past the age of six, it, it will drop a little bit, but it will still be higher than that of a three-year-old in most cases. Um, so healthy, structurally sound animals cost less to maintain than animals that contract, contract mastitis or have eaten leg issues. Um, and ultimately, if we have an animal that has all these issues that can reduce their reproductive capacity, and if an animal doesn't breed well, it's really hard to keep improving if they don't have kids. Um, so it's really important in the improvement and development of a dairy herd in general. Right side here, I've got a printout of what a, a classification report looks like. So it breaks it down into the four main sections and the individual traits. Um, and there you can see each trait is on a scale of one to nine with those gray shaded boxes being the ideal range for each individual trait. So when your report is produced, you can look at a final score down at the bottom. So this animal scored a very good 86, but that doesn't really tell you very much. Um, looking at the report, it, it will highlight at the very bottom of it your highest scoring traits and your lowest scoring traits. So this animal's highest scoring traits were its rump angle and rear attachment height um, and its lowest scoring traits were body condition score and line strength. Um, however, it does break it into generally sections as well as each individual trait has its score. So here we can see that this animal's strongest area is its rump and its weakest is its dairy strength. Um, so this, this can help you identify the strengths and weaknesses within an animal so you can breed it accordingly or call it. Um, but it's also really good for assessing what 
a given sire or dam line may be doing within your herd. So if you classify, say, 10 daughters of a, of a sire, um, and they're all really strong in the rump, really strong in the dairy strength and have good mammary systems, but are weaker in the feet and legs, then you know that that's an area where that buck does not excel. So you can use that information when you're preparing future breedings um, to try and improve your herd in general. Um, and another nice aspect of it is it gives you a, an impartial expert assessment of your animal. Um, I know that I get barn blind where I, I'm looking at my animals all the time and I'm like, yeah, that one's really good. That one's really bad when it's really good for my herd or it's really bad for my herd, but it's not in the grand scheme of things. Um, and getting that outside perspective can really help identify things that you may otherwise miss within your own animals. So sort of alluded to some of this stuff um, before, but how can we use this on the farm and how can it really have an impact on the bottom line? So the final scores can be used as a marketing tool. Um, however, I think marketing them on the strengths of their individual traits is really where it comes into its own. So you can say this animal scored very highly in feet and legs and as did all of its um, progeny or its siblings. And you can show that strength of a trait within a family line based on those scores. Um, you can use your specific trait scores to select matings and plan cullings. So if you've got a number of does that are weak in their feet and legs and you've got a buck that's very strong, um, and then otherwise they're quite comparable. You could use that trait to select those matings. Um, or if you're wanting to sort of do a, a planned culling where you say, I've got 20 animals to cull, I'm going to cull my 20 lowest scoring animals. I'm not saying that's obviously always the, the right way to go about it, but you can use those scores as a contributing factor um, in making those decisions. It's also a really useful benchmarking tool if you've got a general or an overall um, improvement plan for your herd, year after year, you compare you can compare your herd averages um, and see if generally your, your herd is improving in specific traits or if they're getting weaker in specific traits. And that's one area that I find it very, very helpful because you'll get a herd report and it will produce those herd averages for you as well. Um, and tying into what Brian's presentation was about, all of the data that's collected is used to produce those genetic indexes, those estimated breeding values. Um, so you can help, it, that can really help you to identify um, genetically superior animals before they're even coming into their lactation. Because really, um, for females at least, classification only really gets you good data once the animal is in milk. Um, but if you have all the information on an animal's um, ancestors and siblings, you can use that in that genetic index context. So breeding by numbers, um, I don't advocate breeding by numbers alone, but I know if you're dealing with a lot of animals and, and you've got all this data on them, it can give you a starting place. Um, so you can have all your data in a spreadsheet and identify your, your top rump animals, your top udder animals, your top feet and leg animals, and so on and so forth, and match them up accordingly. So if you have a buck that's got strong feet and legs, you can breed a 
to does that have weaker feet and legs. Um, if you've got does with wide teeth placement and you want to improve that in your herd, you can go shopping for a buck or select a buck from your own herd whose dam has more ideally placed teats and you can try and improve those traits um, by selecting animals to bring into your herd or by selecting animals to keep in your herd. Um, and you can use it to create those compensatory matings so that you can get the best of both the buck and the doe in any given mating. Um, you can use it also for culling. So you can select young does and bucks with wider rumps. Um, you can cull young animals with low pastern length scores because that's a trait that's really not gonna improve with age. Um, you can cull your animals with low rear leg side view scores. So those are those posty legs that I was talking about. So that's another trait that's really not going to improve. Um, and you can cull animals with extreme teat length or utter depth scores because these are traits that are really quite problematic in the milking parlor. Um, or you can identify the, the priorities within your herd and, and cull accordingly, but it really does help quantify those. So if you've got five animals that are visually less than ideal, but you've classified them all, then you can really say, okay, I wanna cull four, let's pick the one with the highest score on these traits. Um, and there are specific traits that are useful for culling in young animals, while others are useful for culling in mature animals because they do develop with age. So that's generally the, the core of my presentation. Thanks for listening. And if you have any questions, feel free to ask. Thanks very much, Caleb.